Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Today, Season 3, Episode 5. Mona Parsons, the Wolfville Resister. In late April 1945, in a small village in the Netherlands, an emaciated woman wandered up to a young Canadian soldier and identified herself as a Canadian, and she told him that she was in fact from the small town of Wolfville, Nova Scotia. She also told him an unbelievable story that she had escaped from a Nazi prison camp in Germany and had walked all the way to this small Dutch village that had only recently been liberated. How an emaciated, shoeless Canadian woman came to encounter a Canadian soldier in the Netherlands is not only a unique tale of courage, but dramatically different narrative of the Canadian War experience. Her name was Mona Parsons, and this is her story. The only full biography of Mona Parsons' life is by Andrea Hill, published in 1998. It is titled, Mona Parsons, From Privilege to Prison, From Nova Scotia to Nazi Europe. So full credit must be given to Andrea Hill for doing the background research on this amazing story of an amazing Canadian woman and her courage. And this book is our book recommendation for this episode. A reminder, you can find us on numerous platforms. Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Facebook, just by searching Cool Canadian History. If you happen to access us via Apple, please leave us a rating or a comment. We'd love to hear your feedback on the show. If you find us on Facebook, please give us a like and a follow so we can keep you up to date with all the goings-on of Cool Canadian History. You can also now find us on our own YouTube channel by simply searching Cool Canadian History. You can find me on Twitter, at Doc Boris, and you can always find us at our homepage, coolcanadianhistory.com. All our podcasts are there for you to browse. Now, this podcast relies solely on the patronage of listeners like you, and there are two ways by which you can donate to the podcast. Both options are available on our homepage. On the right-hand side, there is a donation tab courtesy of PayPal. By clicking on it, you can safely and securely donate to our podcast. Below that, there is a donations button via Patreon, where you can set up a monthly donation or make a one-time donation depending on your flavor. Either option makes sure the donations go right to us safely and securely, and we thank you for your continued support. Mona Louise Parsons was born in Middleton, Nova Scotia on February 17, 1901, to Norval and Mary Parsons. 
She was the youngest of three children. Her father, Norval, served in the First World War with the Canadian Corps. He actually commanded the 85th Battalion from Nova Scotia. Though born in Middleton, Mona and her family moved to Wolfville when she was just a young girl, where Mona attended the Acadia Ladies' Seminary, a middle-class Christian school for young Nova Scotian women. While in school, Mona developed a passion for drama, and after she graduated in 1920, set her sights on becoming a professional actor. She attended the Curry School of Expression in Boston, taught drama for two years in Arkansas, and returned to Nova Scotia to perform at Acadia University in Antigonish. Eventually, Mona made the big move to New York, where she auditioned and found work as a chorus girl in the touring production of Siegfried Follies. Mona was not happy with her background role, and when her mother unfortunately fell ill, she used that as an excuse to quit her job as the backline chorus girl and returned home to care for her mother until her death in 1930. At this point, Mona's professional ambitions switched to medicine, and she returned to New York, but this time to study nursing. After graduation, Mona was able to get a job as a private nurse in the Park Avenue area of New York, a very up-class neighborhood, and quickly established herself as an independent career woman in the Big Apple. In February of 1937, she was introduced by her brother to a debonair Dutch businessman named Willem Leonhardt, and they immediately fell for each other. After a five-month courtship, the two were married. Mona left New York with Willem to go to the Netherlands, and the two settled in the small village of Laren, near Amsterdam. They built a spacious countryside estate, which Mona named Ingleside, uh, meaning a comfortable fireside in Old English dialect. However, their happiness was quickly overshadowed by the growing threat of war, and Hitler's seemingly endless ambition for expansion. The two celebrated their second wedding anniversary on none other than September 1st, 1939, the day Nazi Germany invaded Poland, officially triggering the Second World War. On 3 September, Britain declared war on Germany, and on 10 September, Canada declared war against Germany. Willem was concerned that were the Nazis to occupy the Netherlands, Mona would be considered an enemy civilian, and he begged her to flee back to Canada or at least to England. Mona, however, steadfastly refused. And in May 1940, the Nazi war machine rolled quickly through Holland on their way to occupying Belgium and France, and the Nazi occupation of the Netherlands officially began. Now, almost immediately, many Dutch began to organize themselves into resistance cells. These were small networks of civilians from all walks of life, men, women, and even children, government officials, police, firemen, ex-military, etc., all were attempting to undermine Nazi rule in the Netherlands. Now, in the early stage, the Dutch resistance was not very organized. It was a haphazard collection of cells, where one person might not know more than two or three people in his or her cell. Resistance activities could take the form of sabotage, and in very rare cases, actual attacks on German soldiers. But more often, 
It was in the form of passing information along to the Allies, as well as hiding Allied airmen who had been shot down over Nazi-occupied Europe and trying to help them escape back to England. Both Mona and Willem joined one of these cells, and Ingleside became a safe house for hiding and smuggling Allied airmen out of the country. With its spacious property, long driveway, grounds surrounded by trees, as well as its distance from Amsterdam, it was an ideal location. Not to mention that it had the benefit of servants' quarters in the attic, where airmen could stay in relative comfort. From Ingleside, Willem and Mona smuggled numerous Allied airmen out of the country, getting them back to England and back in the fight. By the summer of 1941, however, counter-resistance activities by the Nazi SS and Dutch collaborators began to increase in both vigilance and focus. It became harder and harder to smuggle airmen out of the country, and it became more and more dangerous to be involved in resistance activities. What would sometimes take as little as a few hours in 1940 was now taking days, as airmen had to remain in the Ingleside attic hoping for an opportunity to get out. In September of 1941, Mona took in two British airmen, and they stayed in her attic for a week, waiting for their chance to escape. When no chance came, the two men decided to move on and try their luck elsewhere. Though it seemed like nothing had gone wrong, it was only days after these men left that the Nazi SS showed up at Mona's door. Mona sent word to her husband not to return home while she plied the Nazis with food and drinks, hoping to convince them through her congeniality that she could not possibly be a member of the resistance. Unfortunately, her ruse did not work, and the SS, tired of waiting for Willem, arrested Mona and escorted her to a prison in Amsterdam. It was there that Mona was interrogated by the SS, but she did not admit to participating in resistance activities. Regardless, she was put on trial in December of 1941 and found guilty of aiding the resistance and sentenced to death by firing squad. She wrote about that very moment that she was sentenced, and I quote, I knew all eyes were on me, expecting me to burst into tears. I was determined not to humble myself before any of them. As I left the courtroom, I put my heels together and bowed towards the judge, the prosecutor, and the German counsel who were all standing there together. And I said in perfectly composed German, Guten Morgen, mein Herren. Now, incredibly, this show of calmness and her use of German impressed the German judge so much that he informed her that she could appeal her death sentence. In fact, the general that she wrote her appeal to happened to have friends that were also friends with Mona and Willem. This connection was enough, and 28 days after her conviction, her appeal was granted. Though she would not receive the death sentence, she would remain a prisoner of the Nazis. It was during a prison transfer in January that she finally found out what had happened to Willem when incredibly she ran into him. He, too, had been captured and was part of a group of male prisoners being transferred to a separate penitentiary. Willem had lost a significant amount of weight and had dyed his hair and colored his skin in an attempt to disguise himself. In fact, Mona almost didn't recognize him. 
They embraced briefly on a train platform, exchanged a few words before the guards pulled them apart and sent them to their respective destinations. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. By 1944, Mona had been moved to Germany. She was first imprisoned at Anrath Prison, quite close to the Dutch-German border, where she was put to work making bomb igniters. In September 1944, she was moved to Wiedenbruck prison camp, about 60 kilometers east of Münster. Here, her and 200 other women of various nationalities were put to work making wings for aircraft. In February 1945, she was moved once again, this time to Vecta prison camp in northern Germany, about 110 kilometers northeast of Münster and about 100 kilometers east of the Dutch-German border. Now it was in late March 1945 that the Allies pushed across the Rhine River into Germany, supported by waves of Allied bomber and aircraft. Now near the Vecta prison camp was an airfield, and this became a target for Allied bombers. On the morning of March 24th, Mona was awoken by the thunder of hundreds of Allied bombers overhead. Suddenly, the prison was engulfed in fire and explosions from Allied bombs. The whole place was thrown into confusion. Bombs were exploding everywhere. Buildings destroyed. People killed and wounded. And in the panic, the guards opened the gates and ran for it. Mona and a Dutch countess she had befriended made a run for it too. The Dutch countess, a beautiful young woman named Wendy van Botselaar, had actually escaped twice before, but had been caught. The woman knew the terrain well and spoke fluent German, and with her in the lead, the two set out. Mona could, by now, speak fairly good German, but with an obvious accent. They knew this would give Mona away as they traveled the countryside, so Mona put her acting skills to work. She pretended to be Wendy's mentally handicapped aunt. Incredibly, this ruse worked, and they were able to travel the countryside, even getting food and shelter from local Germans. One night, they even accidentally hailed down an SS policeman while looking for a place to spend the evening. He insisted they spend the night at his house, and knowing that refusal would bring suspicion, they accepted. Mona and Wendy were able to make it quite close to the Dutch border, but German guards were posted everywhere, and Mona dared not risk getting caught after having gone so far. At this point, Mona and Wendy decided to split up and take their chances on their own. Mona found work with a local German farm family and waited for her opportunity to cross the border. This opportunity came in late April 1945, when Allied Polish soldiers arrived. Fierce fighting ensued between them and the German garrison in the area, and Mona spent two days cooped up inside the farm cellar while battle raged above. In fact, 
the father of the farm family Mona was staying with, was killed when he left the cellar to collect water. Eventually, the German soldiers were forced out of the area, and Mona was finally able to cross the border into Holland. Mona could finally now slip out of character too, and immediately dropped her disguise. She was Mona Parsons once more. Now once in Holland, she started walking west, in the direction of what she hoped was her still-standing home near Laren. She survived only by the kindness of Dutch strangers. During this time, though, Mona was not only becoming more and more exhausted, but she became quite sick and malnourished, and eventually she stopped at a farmhouse to seek medical attention. When she told the Dutch farmer that she was Canadian and had returned from a German prison camp, the farmer brought her to what he thought were British troops in the area. They were, in fact, Canadians, and not just Canadians, but Nova Scotians from Halifax. At five foot eight inches and 87 pounds, Mona stumbled into the arms of her countrymen. They attended to her medical needs and they fed her. She remembered in particular the precious gift of three chocolate bars that they let her eat all to herself. It was in the company of these Canadians that Mona met up with one of her childhood friends, Harry Foster, who was now Major General Harry Foster, commanding 1st Canadian Infantry Division. By the end of May 1945, with the war in Europe finally over, Mona, in better health and better spirits, returned to Ingleside in Laren. It was here that she was finally reunited with her husband, who had survived the war in a Nazi prison camp in Germany and had been liberated by the Americans. Though his time in prison had taken its toll, Willem would be a semi-invalid for the rest of his life, and he died in 1956. Now, in gratitude for her helping Allied airmen, Mona was presented with two significant citations, one from none other than General Dwight Eisenhower, Supreme Commander, Allied Expeditionary Force, and another from Air Chief Marshal Sir Arthur Tedder of the Royal Air Force. Both citations commended Mona on her work with the Dutch Resistance. In 1957, Mona returned to Canada, taking up residence in Halifax. She, in fact, went on to marry none other than her old childhood friend and now retired Major General Harry Foster. Her time in prison had also taken its toll. She was plagued by nightmares and ill health for the rest of her life, and Mona passed away in 1976. Unfortunately, Mona's story faded into obscurity, as she would rarely talk about her wartime experience or the citations she received. The inscription on her gravestone sadly reflects this fact, as it reads, Mona L. Parsons, 1901-1976, wife of Major General Harry Foster. This simple inscription on her gravestone does no justice to the amazing life this woman led. From a small-town Nova Scotian to a professional young woman in New York to a member of the Dutch resistance to a prisoner of Nazi Germany and finally to a liberated Canadian in the Netherlands. Her story not only gives us a perspective on a unique Canadian wartime experience but shows us the inherent bravery and tenacity of the Canadian spirit. 
A reminder, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on SoundCloud, and you can find us at our website, www.coolcanadianhistory.com, and of course you can find me on Twitter, at DocBoris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. I want to thank you for listening. For Cool Canadian History, I'm David Boris. Take care.